Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So I trust that you've all read uh, the chapter for this week, and I know, Randy, you haven't. Um, this is the fifth week of our uh, 2021 Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Uh, this class follows uh, Kevin's brilliant teaching last week of the wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path of right speech and right intention. And so right speech and right intention implies that that implies wrong speech and wrong intention as the problem. Uh, right speech is both the entry point into the Dhamma and the culmination of the Dhamma. Um, so initially, right speech, uh, um, there's about eight chapters that I'm not going to read leading up to what I will read, uh, because you've all read it, uh, most of you a few times. But just to cover that, the, the Wrong speech and wrong intention leads to a misunderstanding of the three marks of existence, of the impermanent nature of all things, a misunderstanding of self, resulting in dukkha. And because of that misunderstanding, we create a fabricated self-referential ego personality. And from that point on, that human being can only see life and experience life in a very personal way, through that self-referential prism that it that is self-created, although unintentional. And so the Buddha discovered that upon his awakening, that that was the primary problem. That was a, the cause of all discontent in the world. And I know that's a that's a, a broad and maybe a powerful statement, but it really is true. I won't get into it and I won't defend it right now. But as you develop the Dhamma, you'll understand that the cause of any conflict in the world, whether it's a, a mild conflict in my own mind or the great conflicts we see in the world today, are all rooted in a misunderstanding of the three marks of existence. The Buddha described dukkha, or the ongoing personal experience of dukkha, as the five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and ongoing consciousness. And that consciousness is not a grand cosmic consciousness. It's ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And I'm throwing out a lot of stuff right here. I don't want your heads to start swimming. I'm just um, reiterating some of the things that we've already covered. And the things that you don't understand that I've just mentioned are developed through direct Dhamma practice. In other words, the five clinging aggregates are explained in, I think, week seven or week eight. I should know because I wrote the book. Huh? But, um, so I'm going to start about, uh, I think it's about 10 chapters in, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, read too much or even talk too much if I can do that. No, none of you believe that I won't talk too much. But, uh, yes. <laughs> mindfulness of right, uh, I should explain this, lay the groundwork. The wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path are right view and right intention. The virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path are right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And the concentration factors of the Eightfold Path that we'll get to in our next class are right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation or right concentration. And the use of the term is, is important. Um, I could, as, as, as easily appropriate in 
insert appropriate view or appropriate intention. But but using the word right as opposed to wrong really puts the um, it puts a fine line on what we're doing here. We like to think that there's there's no real um, there's no real definition between what's occurring in life. Well, life is just one big soup that we're supposed to swim through. But the Buddha realized that rooted in rooted in wrong view, we create all these other scenarios that are also wrong as it relates to the Dhamma. We're not talking about a moral right or wrong here, although it can it can it can fall into some moral issues. We're talking about recognizing that for me, as a human being seeking awakening or full human maturity, it's wrong for me to think this way. It's wrong for me to act this way. It's wrong for me to engage in something that might be looked at as wrong mindfulness. Today, there's the, the, with the modern mindfulness movement, everything that, that we can attach the term mindfulness on seems like it's, it's good and wholesome. It isn't. I'm a recovered alcoholic. A defining characteristic of mindfulness. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind. For From the ages of 13 to 25, the only thing I was mindful of was my next drink or drug. It almost killed me. It almost killed me a few times. But that's an aspect of mindfulness. So just because we're mindful of something doesn't mean that it's, it's wholesome or even healthy. And another aspect of mindfulness today is that we should be mindful of, of ordinary things, such as mindful of, being, of washing the dishes. That's not a Dhamma practice. That's a result of Dhamma practice. As a result of Dhamma practice, I can now be mindful when I'm washing dishes or walking the dog or driving the car, but that's not practice. The practice of mindfulness is to develop deep concentration so that we can hold in mind all eight factors of the Eightfold Path. That's right mindfulness. I'm just previewing next week, but applying it to what I'm going to talk about now. So, mindfulness of right speech, right action, and right livelihood are the three virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path. This shows clearly where attachments to an ego personality have formed. This is, when I, when I started understanding the Buddha's reasoning for his Eightfold Path, it, it, I was stunned by the brilliantness of this. He takes our self-referential view, which is always focused outside of ourselves, and places it directly on our behavior. Why? Because it is in my speech, action, and my livelihood that my real thinking, what I'm really holding in mind, will come through. And so by, by gently focusing on these aspects and noticing when I'm stuck in, a wrong, in wrong speech, wrong action, or wrong livelihood, I immediately know where I need to apply the Dhamma. It really is brilliant. It's also a very gentle way when we understand that mindfulness has a lack of, of personality in it. When it when, true mindfulness takes nothing personal, especially the object of our mindfulness. And this relates to jhana meditation too, which I won't get into. Let me continue. The self-referential ego self or ego personality is not just a conscious presence, presence, but consciousness influenced by its physical senses. And so if we don't understand what's coming through our senses, we're interpreting it from a view that is ignorant of Four Noble Truths. And it can only lead to further ignorance. When the Buddha awakened, his, his the first thing he declared, is a, there's always some famous pictures, you can't see me, but he's sitting and he has one hand up and another hand touching the earth. The hand touching the earth 
signifies that he has overcome the ignorance of the world. And, and when, he when he describes himself in that state, he says, there's nothing left within me to provoke another moment of ignorance. He has emptied himself of ignorance. That's the true meaning of emptiness as far as the Buddha's Dhamma is concerned. This is why meditation alone cannot bring lasting peace and happiness. There's many traditions that are based just on mind, mind uh, meditation, and I, I tried most of them, and they didn't work for me. Without a framework grounded in right view, med meditation can reinforce craving, clinging, and hurtful views arising from an ego self. In fact, I've talked to many people who um, their so-called wrong meditation just kept making their their uh, internal fabrications grow within them. And it, it led to pretty deep psychoses for many people. Um, if we had a little more time, I'd tell a story about a gentleman, but he... I, I'll tell it briefly. He was a long-term meditator. He called me in a panic and said, I've been, I've been meditating for, I think it was 18 years at the time. I asked him what, what he was doing as his practice. And he talked about, I'm not putting the tradition down. It's what he said is he was practicing Zen meditation, but without the framework of the Eightfold Path, all he was doing was reinforcing his own views within himself. He had no, no way of recognizing that through being mindful of his speech action and his livelihood. Due to the nature of conditioned mind, the entire framework of the Eightfold Path is necessary to develop concentration, compassion, and wisdom. Those last are the, are the three factors of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is described by the Buddha as a path of wisdom, virtue, and concentration. <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha taught a true and effective Dhamma practice these are the, the Buddha's words. A true and effective Dhamma practice must incorporate these three trainings. Which three? The training in heightened virtue, the training in heightened concentration, and the training in heightened discernment or wisdom. Right speech is a third factor of the Eightfold Path. By mindfully integrating right speech, it becomes clear how words are used to continue to establishing a self that is prone to stress. Excuse me. So here, what the Buddha means by this is that if we're mindful of our speech, if we're mindful of what's coming out of our mouth, we'll be able to, with the, with the right framework of mindfulness, we'll be able to very clearly see where our behavior is engaged in the wrong aspects of this. And so we can we can simply change it. It doesn't mean that we should find out, oh, that's an aspect of wrong speech and go flog ourselves for 15 minutes. There's no there's no value in, in, in any harsh judgments or harsh actions towards ourselves ever. But what it does allow us to do is recognize where our behavior and how our behavior is rooted in the beginning aspect of the Eightfold Path, wrong, wrong view and wrong intention. And so we gently let that type of, of, of speech go or action go. Excuse me. Another aspect of right speech that is so important is the speech that we're, the, the ongoing story that's, that's within our minds. The story we're telling ourselves over and over and over again to maintain that fabricated ego self that's rooted in ignorance of four noble truth. And it's such a powerful way but a very gentle way, if used appropriately, of engaging in the Dhamma. And there's many people, I'm, we don't, I'm not going to go through it all, but there's many people in this room that have told me the same thing. And most of my students 
have told me that they that right speech was really their entry point in the Dhamma. And when you think about that, what we say to ourselves and what we're saying to others is a clear example of what we're holding in mind because it will always come out that way. And then it will follow. We're going to get into this. Of course, if, if what we're holding in mind and what's coming out of our mouths, what we're telling ourselves has to result in action and will usually, usually result in some type of uh, fabricated livelihood. The Buddhist description of right speech. Right speech is abstaining from lying, speaking truthfully. Right speech is abstaining from divisive speech, including gossip, speaking with compassion for all. Right speech is abstaining from abusive speech, speaking with kindness and tolerance. And right speech is abstaining from idle chatter, speaking only what is necessary and helpful. So two things I'll touch on there. Um, Idle chatter is... This does not mean this does not mean that we shouldn't be social, socially engaged with other people, and talk about things that really don't have matter. But we should be mindful of it. We should be mindful when we when we're using idle chatter or idle conversation as a way of distracting ourselves from who we really are. And that's the problem with idle chatter. And most chatter in the world today, by the way, is idle. Another aspect of idle chatter is what I just touched on. We engage constantly until we take to the Dhamma, we engage constantly with idle chatter within ourselves. It's all idle. We, all, we use it constantly to distract ourselves from what's occurring within our own mindfulness. And then another aspect of that is gossip. When I teach younger people, you know, and I'm talking about maybe teenagers, it's one of the first things that I ask them to get them to start understanding what the Dhamma about, is about. And, I, I, and I, I always ask them this way. I said, do you ever notice when you're talking with a friend of yours about another friend of yours who's not there, that it doesn't make you feel too good? And to a child, they'll say, yeah, it does. I said, well, don't do it anymore. You don't have to live like that. But of course, most of us are so enamored with gossip, we don't even know it's, it's occurring. Right speech is one of the most simplest things to recognize within ourselves if we're willing to do it. And that's, does anybody feel like they couldn't recognize these things coming up in the wrong speech? Nobody could. Everybody knows what it is. Wrong speech arises from clinging, craving, and aversion. It is often used to promote or defend the ego personality. Of course it is. Wrong, ske- wrong speech can be very subtle at times. Gossip is particularly, in particular is always hurtful and always arises from the desire to promote an ego personality. Everybody can understand that. It is best to only speak of others when they are present. Idle chatter is used as much for distraction as for social interaction. A great measure of true friendships are friendships that are, uh, I'm sorry, are friendships that are maintained without idle chatter. Um, there's a, a friend online here, I won't point out who it is, um, but, but we can sit for hours very comfortable in each other's presence without saying a word. It, 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 was, it was never uncomfortable. Um, That's remarkable for many, uh, but it's one of the reasons why we run our classes the way we we run our classes. We don't get into idle chatter, do we? An aspect, and everybody's heard the word noble silence. Well, noble silence isn't something that we all agree upon as a a group, and I'm going to shut my mouth. Idle chatter is informed by right speech. We know when to keep our mouths quiet. That's noble silence. As wisdom develops and understanding 
that spoken words will actually be helpful to someone or a situation will also show if they are necessary. That's an aspect of right speech is that the words that are coming out of my mouth in this moment are actually necessary to what's occurring. Words that have no meaningful impact are part of idle chatter and can often prove divisive and will always be distracting. Think about how, how loosely people are with their speech today. And, and I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable uh, how people throw things out and expect other people to either accept them or, or I don't know what, drop dead or something. It's crazy. Right speech also pertains to what we are saying to ourselves and should be considered within the same guidelines. Are the words we are saying to ourselves truthful, helpful, kind, and compassionate? Or are our thoughts a type of unnecessary idle chatter? And that's, that's easily seen through jhana meditation. We, see, we can start seeing that very clearly. From the perspective of right view and the direction for, of right intention, right speech develops to very subtle levels. Once gross speech is identified and mindfully abandoned, Recognition of speech that may have seemed helpful and altruistic may now be seen to be manipulative and designed to elicitate, elicit particular responses from others. Being mindful of words expressed towards others will show the state of your well-being and understanding. I'm going to stop there. Um, right action and right livelihood basically follow the same guidelines. Ultimately, you could say that Right speech, right action, right livelihood resolve in, in remaining harmless to ourselves and others. And so if we find that our thoughts, words, and deeds are indeed harmful to ourselves or others, and harmfulness in that, distracting myself in this moment is certainly harmful, isn't it? And if I'm distracting others, that's also harmful to me. And that's, that's an aspect of, that we learn about taking responsibility as we develop the Dhamma. So that's my, my talk for today. I hope you got something out of it. And I want to go around and, and hear what you have to say and what you've learned. Uh, and also, if you want to make a connection between the weeks, you know, how this relates to last week's and, and Kevin's brilliant talk. Let me start with Karen at the top of my screen. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. John, can you explain to me how I can figure out not being the first person that you pick on in the morning? No. <laughs> not being the box that's right next to you. <laughs> would, I, honestly, would you rather I didn't? No, I'm joking. I'm okay. joking, partially joking. <laughs> I'd really rather just listen today, so thank you. I'm so glad you joined us. Thank uh, you. Ron, good morning. Good morning. From the mobile command center. Yeah. Um, is it a little cold out there? Oh, yes, it is. It is. I have to start the engine from time to time to not freeze my uh, my legs <laughs> off here. Uh, you look like you're in Apollo 13, Rom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I gave this chapter some thought because um, you were going. You thought you were going to teach it because uh, I thought I was going to teach it <laughs> until <clears throat> John popped back up out of the mark. <laughs> um, so I I've always uh, focused on the virtuous factors, uh, sometimes in the negative, sometimes in the positive, 
Um, and what I got out of it this time going, really looking at it, um, was that it's a, it's a check on your right intention. Yeah. It's a daily 24 yeah. seven check on your right intention. And, um, because I used to see it as, as a, as a, a, an easy moral guide mm -hmm. and, um, it, it really doesn't work that way. You can use it that way, but, uh, it has very limited, uh, uh, usefulness at that point. Yeah. Um, and I, I came up with this, this, uh, analogy, um, for the virtuous factors. Um, it's like the Buddha is, is, um, sending us off to, to lunch, but we have to wear a stark white summer suit or summer dress. And then he sends us off to go have a meatball sandwich. <laughs> Enjoy it, you know, and have some, you know, have some triple scoop chocolate ice cream <laughs> afterwards and and when you do it in that state you know you're going to be very very mindful of how you eat because the the, the suit and the dress will show up any kind of lapse in your concentration and mindfulness beautiful um so it's uh, it's it's a nice way to, to see that. That uh, really is. And and then you know the analogy goes a little bit further, uh, and in in realizing that we need not do this in in a fearful way. Yeah. You know we don't need to be fearful about this because twice a day. We launder the suit in Jhana detergent. Wow. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Rob. Uh, <laughs> that's all I have. That's really good. I feel like a meatball sandwich and chocolate ice cream. But <laughs> Good morning, Becky. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Rob, I loved that. <laughs> that was That was great. And John, I really enjoyed your talk today. Thank you. It was um, very uh, all-encompassing, kind of, um, kind of big, big concepts, putting them together. It was very helpful. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, I think the third time through this course for me is definitely the charm because I feel like for the first time ever, I have started to understand what it means to hold the Eightfold Path in mind. Okay. And even though I may only be able to do that, succeed and do it a couple of, just, I don't know how many times, but definitely throughout the day, I, can feel some sort of agitation and then I can 
relieve that really by by saying to myself i don't i don't have to think about this yeah i can do this i can this is not what i need to do and it's it's like a i don't know i can't describe it but it's very um it's very freeing so i went yeah. through the last maybe i don't know maybe four months three months feeling quite uh down a lot yeah and now I notice that that does not happen as much as I as I really realize what the Dhamma is, what the Eightfold Path is, and what it means to hold it in mind. And the other thing I wanted to say is when we talk about right speech, I realized but right speech is also right listening. Yeah. <clears throat> don't listen to what people say. You can't, you can't have right speech. So I really, that, that came through a couple of times in my uh, Empasico experiences. <laughs> right, right use of that word. Yes. And Ram, when you said right speech is a check on right intention that was brilliant that was brilliant because all you have to do is step back and say to yourself why am i saying this but you need to look at really why you're saying it because most of the time you're telling yourself a story about why you're saying it yeah you can take a minute and say okay why am i doing this is this necessary i can't tell you how many times i have stopped and i haven't done it i've said no this is and that's great yeah and then when i do do it after after i do it i don't when you when you engage in wrong speech after you're finished you feel terrible you can feel it you can feel it and so this is really very um great now i have a question but i don't want i don't want to i've already taken too much time what's the question so if you want to tell me about this later okay all right. Yeah, you can give me a call or send me an email. About, when we talk about, you, you think I should just give you a call instead of asking it now? Why don't you ask it now? And if it talk about, when we talk about um, things that are happening, and we say we have to accept what's happening because it's happening, but we don't have to approve of it. Yep. The Dhamma brings an understanding of that distinction that most people have intertwined that we think that we have to, in order to accept something, I first have to approve of it. Of course, that's the most self-referential statement anybody can make, isn't it? Because things occur that have nothing to do with me. So when I learned... I really think of it that way, yeah, yeah, that helps. The Buddha was, he was the most radically accepting human being that ever lived. That's the essence of his Dhamma. And the, the only way we can do that is to, is to stop taking things personally, which leads to what Ram said and what you just said. Right intention, 
at its core is the, the strong intention to recognize and abandon and craving for and clinging to fabricated views of self, which ties right back into the three marks of existence. And that's why it's so powerful, but it's also so simple. Because it, it, you've heard me say this often, that in, in order for us to even live successfully in the world, we have to learn how to meet people where they are, no matter where they are. But in order to practice the Dhamma successfully, we have to be able to meet ourselves where we are. And that's where the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path come in. Because every time I'm recognizing right speech or wrong speech, I never have wrong speech, that, that's where my Dhamma practice lies, is right there. That's where I lie. And it's the, only, it's, the, it's the only way that I can learn about myself, isn't it? By being willing to look at my behavior instead of continuing it or explaining it away or putting it on other people. They made me feel that way. They made me act that way. And that, look, that, again, look what's going on in the world. So thank you, Becky. Thank you. I do hope that helped. Anthony, how are you? Oh, hi. Um, so you said in the email to write a paragraph or two about what you thought of this week's chapter. So that's what I did. Thank you. Um, and one of the, it was great to read it again, because one of the things I've forgotten about is that um, right speech includes the way we speak to ourselves. Yeah. So that's what I focused on. So um, I wrote, are we speaking to ourselves in a way that is kind, true, compassionate, and helpful? Or is our internal dialogue false, mean, and condescending? Are we speaking to ourselves with the same emotional sensitivity in the way we would give advice to a good friend? Yeah. Wrong that internal speech is so potentially fatal that when we continue to launch that second arrow at ourselves over and over again, the worry, rumination, and intrusive thinking can even lead to anxiety and depression. On the other hand, speaking to ourselves in a way that is kind, forgiving, compassionate, and supportive is nourishing and builds our resilience to help us meet the demands in life. And um, <clears throat> I was thinking it was kind of funny because a couple of weeks ago, we had a picture that we wanted to sell and we didn't. And then suddenly I thought about it and I said, it wasn't really the picture we didn't like, it was the frame. So we bought a new frame for it and it was, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it made me think like how, how like that's a metaphor for life, yeah. like how, how we reframe things is how we view things. And if we it's frame beautiful. them in a bad way, we're going to view them badly. And if we frame them in a, in a right way, we're going to view them properly. So I, I thought that I would just share that. Uh, beautifully said. Uh, the uh, you you always hear me describe the eightfold path as the framework for our life, and what we're literally doing is is changing the frame, aren't we? From a fabricated, ignorant view of self to something that is based totally in human reality. So that that's just wonderful, Anthony. Thank you, Jen. Good morning. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. It's so nice to see everybody's faces, smiling, engaged. I wish it was like this all the time with my teenagers. <laughs> everybody has their camera off and I'm talking to a bunch of like words, names. Wow. This is wonderful. Anyway, so. So I think it's helpful to remember that the Buddha is helping us cultivate a calm and peaceful mind. Yes. And um, we have to, I think, you know, we, we initially 
to have to even learn what that even means, what it, mm. what it means to have a mind that's calm and at peace. Yeah. Um, the, the wisdom factors help us to understand what, um, what we're thinking about that is causing stress and start to understand our thinking and how yeah. it's getting in the way of a calm and peaceful mind. Yeah. And the, the virtuous factors help us see how our behavior is contributing to our stress and how our behavior is getting in the way of a calm and peaceful mind. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, first we need to see how our thinking is getting in the way. Then we have to see how our behavior, not then it's not in order. We have to see how our thinking is getting in the way. We have to see how our behavior is getting in the way. We have to see how our thinking and behavior is interacting. And then we have to, once we experience peace and calm, we have to know what to think about. And that's, you know, the, the concentration factors. So calm and peaceful mind, you know, when we engage in wrong speech, it causes not a common peace of mind, it causes some anxiety. Yeah. And if we can begin to recognize that and see that, you know, I'm not feeling calm and at peace when I engage in certain kinds of talk speaking, even idle chatter just fills, fills the air with, you know, yeah. and, and your, your mind and your body with just stuff that's not, necessary and doesn't gets in the way of calm and peace so that was that's kind of what i was doing. <clears throat> thank you jenna it really was brilliant and you, you you touched on something that i should have touched on um we can't we cannot properly develop jhana meditation if we continue to engage in wrong behavior because that wrong behavior will we can't help but carry in our minds into our meditation and we we can't hope to end wrong behavior without a well-concentrated mind. So the, the whole, I mean, you see the cohesiveness of, of the Buddha's Dhamma, again, then going back to right view, it begins with that view that, yes, there's an issue here. The issue is I'm ignorant of Four Noble Truths. I don't know who I am in this world I'm living in. So, and, and, and then, it, then it, it becomes much simpler to see it that way. It gives us direction. So thank you, Jen. Good morning, Maura. Good to see you this morning. Good morning. Um, I have to leave in just a minute. I have a session with a kid and it's interesting because I really want to cancel this session because I wanted to sit in on class and I contemplated this morning a lot about right action and right speech. Um, and I realized that um, it's not a personal thing I have a responsibility mm -hmm. to my community. And um, so kind of just dovetailing on what Jen was saying is there was agitation 
in the contemplation that I would cancel. And then I thought, well, I'll say something happened, you know, and <laughs> like, so it was, and it all felt, you know, and it went into my meditation a little bit. And, you know, um, the truth is that it's, um, it's not personal and there's a clear direction and um, I, the other piece I had talked to John about this yesterday, I, um, I work with clients and when I, when there's a real strong sense of me needing to be, have the answers, there's agitation. And when I can let go of that, I kind of rest in um, the, the, the impermanent Dicka world with um, a lot of kindness, um, things go much more slowly and there is a common peaceful mind there. Okay. Um, but it revs up when, when my, my identification with having to know revs up. Yeah. It causes a lot of residue and there's a beautiful intention of wanting to be helpful, but it's also um, not really accepting life as life occurs and i can also accept my agitation and be at peace with that because that's what's occurring and during those times and just offer a lot of love and not take it personally so um, that's what i have to say on that 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 was again beautiful more you're describing dhamma practice you recognize when you might have been falling into a wrong view and wrong livelihood in your case and you came back from it and so you know, the Buddha described, and I described awakening as full human maturity. That was a very mature act that you took today. But you should never have a stomach class. I'm just kidding. Thanks for joining this morning, Maura. Adam, how are you? I'm good. <clears throat> thank you, John. Um, I thank you also to, to Maura. Um, you mentioned something that uh, was part of my um, wanting to jump on Ram's uh, uh, fan club of... Uh, of uh, right speech being a, a check on right intention. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, um, saying something in order to be helpful, but having it not actually be that way, not, not you know, it might be better to remain silent than to speak when you think you're being helpful and using that kind of checking your intention to see if you're saying the right thing or if you should just, you know, shut up. Um, I like to have those two, I'm pointing at Ram and I'm pointing at you more on my screen here. Those kind of two things um, um, connected. Uh, but actually, I had a question. If I could ask you, John, please about a, a passage uh, toward the end of the about the chapter um, uh, that says, "This is the sentence: By maintaining mindfulness of our thoughts, words, and deeds without defense, deep insight into conditioned thinking arises." Um, can you explain the? What, what do you mean by without defense? What the, what the mechanism of defense is there that we need to undo? The, uh, the, using the word defense there is, is the same as saying clinging to. And so that's an aspect. When we have whatever view we form of ourselves in relation to the world, we can't help but cling to. But as we, as we develop the Dhamma, we drop that defense. And we just, and literally, all that baggage just falls away, and it falls away because of wisdom. And you could say wisdom and true compassion for ourselves. We, we recognize the things that no longer serve us, and we simply let them go out of gentleness for ourselves and, and all of humanity. 
It's a great question, Adam. Thank you. Uh, the screen stopped or changed on me. I can't remember. Oh, there. Michael, how are you? Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, all right, let me see if I can. Uh, every word leads us in a direction either towards or away from the Buddha's Dhamma. <laughs> <laughs> Again, wonderfully said, Michael. That, that's beautiful. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Stop letting that guy take over the whole screen. <laughs> that's all right. I'm very shy anyway, so I would be hit. I would be actually hidden in the corner. I'd be okay with that. Um, I feel like the, um, the virtue factors are the interpersonal skills of the Eightfold Path. Yeah. Um, it's, it's how... It's how we interact with the with the phenomena world, but also it's it's how we interact with others, um, and also how we interact with ourselves internally, intimately. Um, so it's 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 like the it's the beginning of being able to control ourselves and restrain ourselves at the sixth sense space to not identify with the with the like personally with the phenomena world or yeah. with interactions that we have with others. I, I feel like nowadays, um, you know, with the way the world is and communications, how um, it's accelerated so much through internet and through all sorts of yeah. uh, technology that even those things are part of right speech and wrong wrong speech yeah. and uh, can affect, you know, our views of the world and of each other. So it's more important than ever to have right speech, because um, yeah, it's true today more than yeah more than ever. Yeah. So and you can see examples of it constantly. So you see it you see it all you know everywhere in the outer world. So it's more it's extremely important for us to practice right speech. Um, uh, the other thing I had written down was that right speech can actually be the gauge to measure the calm and peaceful mind. We can actually we can actually see how our practice is working by by gauging how how our internal right speech um you know how it's how we're how we're maintaining a calm and peaceful mind not getting overly um identifying with all you know things in a personal way great point because i saw that we have many many other people out there so those are the four the four things that i wrote down thank you that was really wonderfully said good morning steve Hi everybody. Hi John. Um, it's very interesting about right speech, right action, right livelihood, uh, and uh, important stuff. It's uh, right intention because intentions create our uh, action, right livelihood. Uh, also, it's create uh, our, our karma. But uh, if you jump a little to right speech, uh, right speech is not just um, don't tell a lie, and no gossip, blah, blah, blah. Also, it's big parts of exception in other opinion. Mm. Especially it's very good for uh, today. Uh, because usually when we start to clinch to our opinion, it doesn't mean it's right. It's already wrong because we attached to this opinion, 
Yeah. So it's very big, I think, parts of right speech, it's a lot to listen to somebody and also accept even if not agree. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well said, Steve. I'm glad you could join us this morning. Uh, Randy, how are you? What do you think of your, your class here today? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, great. I was muted. I'm sorry. No problem. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on. And I thank you, John, for uh, inviting me. This is just amazing. I love it. And I, 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 I never needed it more. <laughs> <laughs> me either. Welcome. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I'm getting a lot out of this right away, immediately. And there's some things that I was talking to Karen about last night about, you know, I'm guilty of it as well in days like this for all of us are, I think, with 2020 happening, like took us out of the knees and everybody's got second thoughts, people are losing their jobs, losing their houses, losing their money, and all this negativity comes into your head and it just clouds everything and it's just a dark place to be. And you have to, you have to really recognize it and, you know, be conscious of it and kind of talk yourself out of it, so to speak, but the way you're saying it is makes perfect sense to, to be treating yourself and, and, and using right speech and right, right thoughts, um, right thinking. And I was just saying how, um, uh, to my sister last night, uh, how I have a close friend of mine who's, I've always looked up to him. He seems like an old, old soul. I've always been enamored by his personality and his genius just like his his lust for life and um just lately he's really really getting down on himself about his son being eight years old and he's 56 57 and he's like oh my god what happened why did i wait so long it's like now my son's gonna be you know a teenager when i'm like in my 60s and it's like he's all freaked out about it and and he goes to me, he says, Randy, I know that you've been through the ringer. You know, you've got your problems over the years and you've been up and down with all kinds of, of physical and mental challenges as far as, you know, drinking goes. And um, he says, how do you do it? You keep bouncing back. You keep coming back and you just act as if nothing happened. And a lot has happened. And the only thing I can say is that I've only been practicing acceptance that they've been drilling that into me forever. And I could never really accept it because I always felt like if I just, if I had a bad feeling and I said, Oh, I just have to accept it. It means of just giving up and just saying, look, it is what it is. I gotta, I gotta go with it. You know, it is, it's, that's what it is. Instead of cleaning the slate and saying, let me think about something more positive. Let me do something more constructive. <clears throat> And get through the day without having to like get down on myself and be in a fog. And so, you know, that helped him a lot. And I really want to talk to him about maybe joining up with you uh, on this thing because it helped him a lot as well. Yeah, well, thank you for all of that, Randy. It's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, if you go on the website, you'll see our class schedule is on there. Uh, so you can join us anytime that you can do it. And I hope you do. It's great to have brother and sister in our in our sangha. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, one last thing, and also I want to. I heard you have a book. 
Yeah. Yep. I'd, I'd like to get a hold of that. I'll talk to my sister about where I can get that. Yeah. Yeah. On the there's links on the website. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Well, this this course, the Truth of Happiness, comes out of one of my books called The Truth of Happiness, which is a study guide to a larger volume called Becoming Buddha, Becoming Awakened. Uh, but the text of, of Truth of Happiness is on the website, so it, you can read the whole thing, uh, you know, on there and keep going. Dylan, how are you? Oh, hey, John. I Everybody welcome just... Dylan. He's one of our newest Sangha members. <laughs> I want to apologize about earlier. I heard you um, greeting my name, but I was in the bathroom with That's... my laptop, and it was kind of messy. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh... So, um, I'm yeah, glad you didn't so, rush out to join us. Nah, yeah. So, you know, I, I would like to call you later, actually, with some... I wrote stuff in the book, but the, I had the books in my cars, which I had some questions about. Sure, uh, feel free. Yeah, so, I, you know, I would say something I kind of picked up, I think Anthony was saying it, is definitely to be kind to yourself um, through all of this... Um, mm -hmm. You know, before I started reading the book and trying, acceptance is a huge part, as, as what Randy was saying as well. Accept that, you know, that you're here, accept that you're, you're well, accept that you're kind of in the, in the present, even though it's hard. Um, but uh, trying to word this correctly, I think with right intention, my intention towards myself is better. I don't know if that's if that's the right. Thing. Yeah, that's a natural a development. Reason. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of viewing myself differently and in a right. more calming and gentle way. Instead, I would try to like beat myself up over something. Now I'm kind of patting myself on the back. So I think those little techniques are, are definitely. Um, I think that it goes with right intention. I could be wrong, but. Yeah, I'm gonna call you later. Ultimately, please. <laughs> so, I, um, but thanks for for the class, and uh, it's nice to see everybody. Yeah, thank you, Dylan. the The key to to the Dhamma and the key to to a, a happy and fulfilling life is to be gentle with ourselves and others. It's and it's the only way. And you're learning that, and you're learning it quickly. So good for you, Mary. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'll just be really brief, but I think that, you know, some of us remember the, there was a book out mm -hmm. called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Yeah, I remember and it. Me, and that was, you know, that was so pleasant uh, to, to read those books. And, um, you know, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, although not, not simple, they are very elementary and they mm -hmm. are uh comforting because when you can integrate them into your life you're, you're on the path to liberation you're shedding things like the stories you tell yourself uh negative thoughts um wrong speech um you know wrong actions you're 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 learning and you're constantly weaving the eightfold path throughout your life, you know, the yeah. higher your concentration gets, the more awareness you have, and you start shedding and feeling a, a lightness and a spaciousness 
because of what you're not doing or what you're not thinking or what you yeah. said. And all of that is reinforcing that you're on a path to liberation yeah. and freedom and awakening. And so this is just very, um, even though I've been through this many times, it's just very um, inspiring. So thank you, John. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mary. How are you, Tom? Um, good, thank you. Uh, John, thanks for the, um, the talk. Great to see everyone. Uh, I have two um, questions, but again, I know we're running out of time, so if you don't if you don't have time to answer both, that's fine. But I'll, I'll ask the questions themselves very quickly. Um, first question is this idea of idle chatter, I think, is quite, quite um, interesting or intriguing for me. Um, if I think of how I spend time idly, um, it often revolves around sport. I'm a big sports fan, you see, so I spend so much time watching sport, thinking about sport, talking about sport, playing sport, whatever it might be. Now, my question for you is, um, if the Buddha were alive today, do you think he would be, or could he be a sports fan? Um, huh. And if so, what kind of sports fan do you think he would be? Like, <laughs> Um, uh, how, how would, you know, cause it does seem like it's, I don't know, part of me thinks there's nothing wrong with it, but then the other part of me thinks, well, surely it would qualify as idle as spending your time idly. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's my, my first question. Um, it, what an incredible question. The, I, I think I mean, it's, it's really crazy of me to even speculate what the Buddha might do about <laughs> sports, but. Uh, I, I I really I think about it for for just a moment or two. I really believe that um, if the Buddha was involved in sports, it would only be golf and baseball and nothing else. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no football. No, I, the, I, I I think I I think I think it's a well informed opinion I'm going to give right now. Is I doubt the Buddha would have been involved in sports, but that does not mean that we shouldn't be. Um, the Buddha didn't expect every human being to live just like he did. He did expect every human being that wanted a common peaceful mind to think like he did. And that doesn't mean that, and as we're developing the Dhamma, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go out on a nice day and play football or play around a golf. Is Kevin still with us? Um, it's how we, how we relate to that thing. If, if I'm, um, I used to be a golfer too, and it always uh, it drove me a little bit crazy how personal people took the game, even to go so far as uh, that otherwise good and honest men would think nothing about cheating in golf. Uh, and it was just such a good example. I played up until I couldn't play anymore, but I, it, I played because I loved the game. That's all. I didn't. I didn't really care what I shot, even though I used to play in a lot of tournaments. So um, we can we can be involved in anything without taking it personally. So that's really the answer to that. I hope. I hope that's a, a good enough answer for you, though. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, and then very quickly, the other one was, um, you know, we have, or at least I have always a constant f quest or thirst for new knowledge, right? And so the Eightfold Path, which we're talking about today, is so, so important. And it, 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 it's, you know, we always have to keep coming back to it. But do you or anyone else in, in the group in the Sangha actually have any like practical tips on, on, on how to 
integrate it more regularly into my life the actual reflection on the on the eightfold path i understand the idea of meditating twice a day but just like today for example um you know just that opportunity to sort of take a moment to reflect on um aspects of right speech and right you know right right action it's really beneficial but the problem is i'll spend several days and i won't think about it you know and then i just get caught up in my mind so Mm -hmm. if anyone has any practical ideas on how to remind yourself or to get that habit more often of 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 um integrating the the eightfold path i'll take that one uh (laughs) what you're doing right now is how you do it it's by developing through through dharma practice itself the framework of the eightfold path so i i know you would say that you're more mindful of the eightfold path now than you were six months ago is that a fair statement yeah sure that's how you do it the more you the more you practice the more the eightfold path does become the framework and guidance for your life just as a natural consequence there's no there's no stress there it, it it's just this gentle effort of coming back to practice deepening your concentration the more the the more concentration we have the more we're able to integrate the eightfold path as the framework for your life but there's no secret to it it's just dhamma practice you know, that, that, so you'd say the, the, the meditation itself as well as like um, studying the word, like studying a sutta or something like well, that? Well, doing what you're doing now, you know, doing exactly this, learning what the Buddha taught, learning how to integrate it in your life, learning from hopefully a teacher that knows what he's talking about, knowing an even more important aspect of all of that is being part of a well-focused, well-informed sangha. Because you can see what happened here. This is another remarkable class. I'm saying that more and more often, but I don't. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't. I mean, it, what we've discussed here. We didn't get into politics. We didn't get into sports. We didn't get into the the newest poet. We focused on the Dhamma. This is how you practice the Dhamma. But it doesn't mean we don't have other interests in our life. As we develop the Dhamma, we bring the Dhamma to our other interests, and that changes even the 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 experience of that. It, it, it'll change your experience of football. Uh, is Kevin still on? I think he had to go. No, he's not. So I have, I have, can I add? Please. I but I'll go quick. No, um, go ahead. Four foundations. Tom, just a day-to-day, four foundations of I The Rolodex of thoughts um, that, I, you know, many of us, all of us experience um, if you are noticing that you're that you're thinking about a thing, whatever it is, um, you know, recognize that. Come back to your breath. Yeah. Watch the thoughts arise and pass away. Come back to your breath. Notice feelings attached to thoughts when you're thinking about a thing. Come back to your breath. Notice if your if your thoughts are attached to any views of self or uh, you know or feelings around views of self and how those feelings are related to um, how you view yourself and maybe you're thinking about a thing because it makes you feel some kind of way, come back to your breath. You know, so so anytime you're going through your day, um, if you can remember the four foundations of mindfulness and, and watch your breath, watch your thoughts, watch your feelings, watch your overall state of mind, around just your 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 constant rolodex of thinking and anytime you can bring that in even in your day-to-day even when you're you know you're watching sports you know maybe it'll occur to you 
oh, four foundations of mindfulness. Yeah. Breath, thoughts, feelings, like how, you know, and then you just continue on with what you're doing and it's what you're doing, but you're, you're noticing thoughts, feelings, you know, that's just in the practical sense for me, that was, that was really, really helpful. So. Yeah. Again, brilliant, Jen. Uh, it, it's remarkable the, uh, the, the in-house teachers that we have now, you know, there's three on here online now. Um, can, what, can I just say one thing really fast? Sure. Tom, for me, it, it's taken a long time, but I can tell you that I know exactly what you mean when you say that you're on your cushion and then you get up and you start your life and you don't think about it again. Mm -hmm. And you're just, yeah, you're just in your life like you always were. But what happened for me is it just eventually it invades you. If you just keep doing what you're doing, it just will dawn on you all of a sudden. That's what happened to me. Mm. I mean, as as Jen explained, she came to it in a different way by holding in mind the four foundations of mindfulness. That didn't work for me. So I think it's a different journey for everyone, but that was my experience. Thank you, Becky. Quickly on what Jen was saying, too, that what Jen was describing was taking jhana meditation off your cushion into your moment-by-moment -moment life. That's what the four foundations relate to. So again, as we deepen our concentration, we'll naturally be able to recognize where we're in right or wrong and always come back to right whatever the aspect of it is thanks jen thanks becky david how are you hey john uh i think uh that's a good place to stop so thank you it, thank you it, it is um i know we've gone on but i want to finish with jen with uh meta as i always do so hang in here just a little bit more uh it really was a remarkable class um the uh, we're going to continue with uh, the concentration factors on Tuesday, and then we're also going through the truth of happiness on our Thursday 2 p.m. class. Tom is part of that, and some of you other ones are. The timing is slightly different because we're going, we're we're just going through two classes on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and then one class on Thursdays. But we're all doing the truth of happiness right now. So uh, we'll finish with uh, the Karaniya Metta Sutta, the Buddha's words on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart 
should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Peace, everyone. Thank you for a really remarkable class. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.